Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I met with uh, someone this week, uh, a Dharma student that I check in with uh, from time to time. And uh, they were saying how how interesting how um, we were looking at our work over the last couple of years and um, last actually three or four years. And uh, she was saying how she had gotten caught so many times in believing her thoughts and in her stories and and then reacting to the fact that she had gotten caught once again and it was really uh, really frustrating had been frustrating for some time and in uh in recent times um something shifted and she she actually the thing was she stopped uh, or to a great degree diminished judging herself like she used to she spent much of her life being really hard on herself and just coming to the um, pleasant um, delicious realization that she's not so hard on herself anymore these days. She can still get caught for a few moments, but that's not her her main place that she that she lives. Uh, and when she gets caught, there's a, even a, a kindness and a, a friendliness towards that. And uh, and she was trying to figure out how that how that happened, because really, she said there was one moment that all of a sudden she got it, where judging herself, being on herself was just extra. And it was a, a really uh, misunderstanding of reality. There she was trying to do the best she could. And sometimes that was disappointing uh, or she she'd get caught in some thought but she, at some point she stopped adding on what in the teachings is called a second arrow where you're feeling lousy or you hurt yourself physically or you get caught in a mind state that's the first arrow probably many of you are familiar with this. And the second arrow that the Buddha talks about is when we add on top of that a whole host of judgments for being caught or having your body hurt or judging the fact that you're judging. And she said, she just saw it in a moment and uh, and it was it all became clear to her. Now, again, just in truth, she still can get caught and sometimes can have an arrow uh, or or two uh, seem to to fling, but it's not anything like it was in years gone by. And she said, I don't know how that happened. All of a sudden it just happened and it seemed like I was getting lost for so long. And then all of a sudden, how does that happen? And I was reminded of a teaching that uh, Joseph Goldstein, my main Vipassana teacher, used to uh, share uh, on retreats. I don't know if he does these days uh, of the image of somebody who's a, a stonebreaker and pounding on a piece of whatever it was, granite or marble or whatever the, the, the stone was to be broken. And that 
each hammer didn't seem like anything was happening. And then some magic stroke after a hundred seemingly ineffective strokes, all of a sudden, boom, that's the one that does it. And the point that he was making was, um, it doesn't seem like much is happening in those 99 non-effective strokes, but every one of them in a very subtle way is weakening that the, the molecules and the atoms that are holding that stone together until boom, the final one. And so we were talking about how all of those times that she would get caught and then get frustrated that she was caught and then finally wake up at the fact that she had she had drawn a quiver of arrows on top of things. Every one of those counted in her process of shifting. There's another uh, image that the Buddha gives along this same line where he has an image of a, a bucket underneath a dripping faucet, a water, water hole that there's uh, just one drop at a time dripping. And as the, the words say, um, drop by drop, I'm not, I can't quote it exactly, but although each drop seems insignificant, drop by drop by drop, the bucket gets filled. And I want to talk tonight about this process that seemingly, sometimes it seems like you take one step forward and then it's two steps back, or two steps forward and two steps back. And it can be a little frustrating when you think, I want to make some progress here and discount or um, are not realizing that every moment that you bring a positive intention of acting from non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, which is another way of saying uh, generosity or spirit of letting go, non-hatred, kindness, loving kindness, non-delusion, clarity, wisdom. Every moment that you are acting from that place, drop by drop by drop, you are changing your habits. And if you know about the Buddha's teachings, it's all about habits. We are creatures of habit. That's just the way it works. As in one of my favorite discourses, the Buddha says, whatever the practitioner frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. Or modern neuroscientists uh, say, neurons that fire together, wire together. So the Buddha talked about weakening unwholesome states, fear, anger, uh, wanting, jealousy, confusion, weakening those states by not feeding them and strengthening wholesome states by consciously cultivating them and then feeling good. This is what I find so important, feeling good about every time 
you are cultivating from that place of uh, wise attention and you are cultivating the wholesome and the whole game wise effort the whole game of of wise effort is weakening the unwholesome by not getting caught in that tape loop and strengthening the wholesome by practicing skillful habits <clears throat> and then sometimes you see things in a whole new way there's a teaching that um, is from the zen tradition by zen master <clears throat> chinul i'll put it in the uh in the chat box <clears throat> i think he was like 12th century or something like that and this is his name chinul c-h-i-n-u-l and he's famous for this phrase teaching sudden awakening gradual cultivation and this works in two ways it can be those hammer strokes where it doesn't seem like much is happening and there's a gradual awakening i'm sorry a gradual process and then all of a sudden boom the stone breaks or there's a shift and there's a sudden awakening oh i don't have to do that anymore however then it the next part of the process is sudden awakening you've seen it and yet there's still more work to do because the habits have been cultivated over a long time and so um as long as we're facing in the right direction and we have a commitment each time we see the habit to see it with kindness and understand the conditioning and understand that we're just creatures of habit and not blaming ourselves and we're facing in the right direction then there's a kind of confidence that grows when you see little by little oh there's been some shift there's been some growth here I wanted to share with you uh, a couple of teachings in this, and then we can take a look at our own practice and process. One teaching about this process of purification, this gradual cultivation that is given as uh, in the metaphor of refinement of gold. This is the Buddha's teaching on refinement of mind. He says, here is the simile for the refinement of the mind. There are, my friends, gross impurities in gold, such as earth and sand, gravel and grit. Now a skilled goldsmith first pours the gold into a trough and washes, rinses and cleans it thoroughly. When the goldsmith has done this, there still remain moderate impurities in the gold, such as fine grit and coarse sand. Then the goldsmith rinses and cleans it again. When the goldsmith has done this, there still remain minute impurities in the gold, such as fine sand and dust. Now the goldsmith repeats the washing, and thereafter only the gold dust remains. The goldsmith now pours the gold into the melting pot and smelts it, melts it together. But the goldsmith does not yet take it out from the vessel as the dross has not yet been entirely removed. And the gold is not yet quite pliant, workable and bright. It is still brittle and does not yet lend itself to molding. But a time comes when the goldsmith repeats the melting so that the flaws are entirely removed. The gold is now quite pliant, workable, and bright, 
and lends itself easily to molding. Whatever ornament the goldsmith now wishes to make of it, be it a crown, earrings, a necklace, or golden chain, the gold can now be used for that purpose. Similarly, in the case of the practitioner devoted to practice, there may be such gross impurities as unskillful conduct in deeds, words, and thoughts. Such conduct the follower of the way in time gives up, puts away, lets go, and relinquishes. That is, one takes the precepts and alignment with sila or integrity as a, a strong um, support and guide, guide for um, coming into alignment with one's values. When one has abandoned these, there may still remain such impurities of a moderate degree, such as lustful, angry, or violent thoughts. Such thoughts the follower of the way gives up, puts away, lets go, and relinquishes. When one has abandoned these, there may still remain such subtle impurities as clinging to loved ones, to nation, or to one's reputation. When one has abandoned these, now that doesn't mean to abandon your loved ones and not, uh, not love them, but um, just see through the attachment of having them mm, do what you want and, and being very attached to, uh, to them to the point where the metta is over, overcome by attachment. When one has abandoned these, these views, <clears throat> when one has abandoned these, there may still remain grasping to special states of meditation. It gets more and more refined until finally, wow, hey, I'm getting to be a pretty good meditator, pretty good yogi. Enlightenment is just around the corner. I can almost feel it. And we can get very attached to our spiritual development. Thus, concentration is not yet properly calm or refined. It has not yet attained to full tranquility, nor achieved mental unification. But there comes a time when the practitioner's mind gains firmness within, settles down, becomes unified and concentrated. With such a concentration, the practitioner is able to direct the mind to states of higher insight. So he's saying this is all a matter of continual refinement, that even after you see clearly, there are still habits that have been cultivated over a lifetime that we need to be very patient with the process because the conditioning is really deep and really strong and we need to honor that and now i want to do something that uh, i don't usually do um, which is to share with you a short video clip that has really struck me with with its with the power of the way things are of how deep the conditioning is and this is a clip i'm just going to play oh four or five minutes of a clip that's from an hour uh an hour or so um lecture by someone maybe some of you have heard of a man named robert sapolsky he is a a neuroscientist. Uh, he wrote a book called uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Stripes. And this is a talk where he's, he's sharing about how deep the conditioning is, that it's not even on the conceptual or thought level. It's before that our nervous system gets conditioned without our thinking mind. And uh, I've 
I've seen this a number of times and it always, always blows my mind to just see, wow, we are really creatures of conditioning and it's possible when we realize what's going on to change that conditioning. So here is uh, Robert Sapolsky. Oh, but I have to, uh, hold on, I have to pull it up. Yeah. On, um, on this talk, and uh, let me just make sure you can see it. Um, you can see on the screen. Can you see that uh, I haven't hit it yet? Okay. So here we go. Just, uh, just listen to these, um, these next few minutes where he explains how deep the conditioning is that we are subject to. Move this up here. Okay, so this begins to give us just a sense, tip of the iceberg, of what's going on in that one second before that behavior occurs. But no brain is an island, and when we look at one of these behaviors, good, bad, in between, we're asking why did this behavior occur, we're now also asking something about seconds to minutes before. What sensory information had an effect on the amygdala, the frontal cortex, etc. Where do these wind up being relevant? And what I put in this slide here is summarizing a gazillion different studies showing sensory information is altering our behavior in ways where we haven't a clue this is happening. For example, put up a pair of eyes on a bus stop and people litter less. Have a pair of eyes like that flash up subliminally for less than a second while somebody is playing an online game and they cheat less. They become more generous. You're being watched. Give somebody some horrible cod liver oil to drink and it tastes horrible. And for minutes afterward, people will be more punitive about norm violations. They're confusing a bad taste with a bad act. Or how about this one? Put somebody in a room and give them a questionnaire to fill out about their political views. And if there's smelly garbage in the room, people become more socially conservative. Doesn't do a thing to your economic views, your geopolitical views. You feel the same way about our trade deficit with Swaziland that you did this morning, but them and their different lifestyles suddenly begin to seem them and disgusting and wrong, 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 just because visceral disgust alarms are going off because there's smelly garbage in the room. How about this one? Sit somebody in a chair, either a hard wooden one or a nice plush sofa like that, and give them job applications from like resumes of supposed applicants and they evaluate them afterward. If you sit in a hard wooden chair, on the average, you are more likely to assess applicants as having a rigid, inflexible personality. You're more likely to think they're hard asses because of the chair you're sitting in. Or how about this one up on the right there? This was a study in PNAS, very prestigious journal, a few years ago, looking in a country, all of the parole board hearings in that country over the course of a year, 5,000 hearings, looking at who was sent back to jail versus who was given parole, looking at all sorts of variables, and out of it popped an extraordinary finding. The single biggest predictor of whether or not a prisoner got parole or not was how many hours it had been since the judge had had a meal. If you went before a judge right after a meal, 60% chance of being paroled. Four hours later, down to zero. Just this line, along comes lunch, down again, little snack afterward, down again it goes. And what is extraordinary about this is two things. First, we understand the biology of this. Blood glucose levels have something to do with whether your neurons can work really hard. And what counts as working really hard in your frontal cortex? Viewing the world from someone else's perspective trying to think about their mitigating circumstances, the frontal cortex takes a lot of energy to do the harder thing. 
And what's even more striking is if you took any of those judges two seconds after they made that decision and you said, okay, so why'd you send this guy back to jail? But this guy, they're not going to say, oh, because of my blood glucose. No, they're going to cite like freshman philosophy class or something. And all the while, this is the interceptive, the internal sensory information that was shaping that decision. Finally, top left, the most depressing finding in this whole field is you take people, put them in a brain scanner, and you're flashing up faces like tenth of a second, barely noticeable, high speed, and for your average person, you flash up the face of someone of a different race, and the amygdala activates. Oh, crap hardwired on a tenth of a second to have a racist response like that. Is this inevitable? Are we like, is this hopeless for us to ever get? Now do the experiment a little bit differently. I recently found out that apparently San Francisco has a baseball team. So, and that supposedly they have this rival that they get very worked up about. And now you're flashing up the faces and each face is wearing a baseball cap. And if you get the right San Francisco baseball fanatic, if it's the home team, you get one response. If it's the rival, the amygdala activates and you're not processing skin color. Oh my God, the innate nature of human racism, my ass. All it takes is this cultural thing we invented one or two centuries ago and which one counts as an us or a them and baseball loyalties overrides that and you've recategorized people within milliseconds there. Okay. Tough enough. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? And we, we wonder why we get, we fall in the hole and keep on getting caught. Conditioning is happening on a whole other level than the conceptual uh, and reflective level than that. So this is what we are up against. We have an animal, uh, a very deep animal aspect of our nature that's just about habits and conditioning. And it is not just in our mind, it's in our nervous system. And it's possible to train to not be at the affect of that conditioning. I, I know this for myself, and I'm going to ask you to reflect maybe uh, in, a, in a few moments. When I, when I was um, first starting this, very much like my friend who I, I mentioned at the beginning, um, I, I did not like myself very much, you know, just Looking in the mirror, there was, I kind of would wince and um, was very shy. I've shared this before here. And over time, if you would have told me 50 years ago that it's possible to, to really appreciate and love yourself, I would have said, no, not in this lifetime, not for me. And I'm, you know, I, I'm here to say, I think I'm an okay guy. That was it. That was the, that was the main shift. It wasn't like, oh, you're some kind of superhuman being. It was just, you know, you're a good guy. And that was, that was the hundredth stroke of a number of different moments over time. There's like, four or five different landmark moments that really hit me and got to me that more and more I started to feel it from the inside and it wasn't just an idea. Uh, Ajahn Chah has this this teaching that I love. Ajahn Chah, Jack Cornfield's teacher, was an inspiration for me as well. I had the good fortune of meeting him in, in Thailand. Um, and he would say, first one, here's the Dharma. You know, you read a book or you hear a talk and you hear it. Hmm. 
then you understand the Dharma, where it's starting to really make sense. Then continuing on practice, you realize the Dharma, where it is, it doesn't just make sense, you get it, you really get it. And then finally, as Ajahn Chah says, you become the Dharma, where the Dharma is expressing itself through you. It's the same Dharma from the very beginning until you are an expression of the Dharma, but it's like more and more cellularly, the gold is being refined, whatever image you want to use, cellularly, those habits keep on developing and the neurons start firing together on their own. And that's a, it's a beautiful thing to see both gradually a shift in, um, in your outlook on things until it becomes a shift in your default setting. Now, for me, I shared this before, you know, it can be dangerous to think, oh, I think I got it. Because as, as I've said, if you press the right button, I can be back in third grade and feeling either insecure or having a, you know, some kind of a, a, a pity party or whatever it is. Um, so that's possible. And in fact, in the Buddha's life, even the Buddha, after he was enlightened, Mara came to visit the Buddha a number of times. There's a number of vignettes of Mara coming and visiting the Buddha. And each time the Buddha says, oh, I see you, Mara. So it's not like you never get caught, but it's like, where do you live from? What is your home base? And even though one might get caught, there's a difference between mostly being caught and every now and then waking up or mostly being aware and every now and then getting caught. And I'm just thinking now of a, an image, how are we doing on time, um, that, uh, that Joseph um, gives that uh, I love. At the beginning of practice, it's like there's a hill with a ball in the center and you're trying to keep that ball centered and it's easy to fall off. As you keep on practicing, the hill becomes flattened out and you put it in the center and it takes a gust of wind for that ball to, um, to move off its center. That's as you've been practicing for some time, it's uh, you're more apt to just be in your center. As you deepen your practice, the hill becomes a valley and that ball naturally rests in the center. It can get blown off, but this is where it comes back to. So that's the good news. And what does this require? Patience. one of the 10 perfections of the Buddha. Uh, there's a famous line, the spiritual journey requires a, a cup of wisdom, a barrel of love and an ocean of patience. So patience for every time you find yourself getting caught, oh, but feeling great that you're starting to see it. Ah, I see you Mara. Patience sense of humor, which means you're not taking it personally. Oh, look at my pathetic mind, but rather, oh, look at the mind. Oh, wow. Look at this crazy mind that we have, that we all share. And if you can laugh, then you're in on the joke instead of 
the butt of the joke. Patience, sense of humor, a lot of self-compassion for the conditioning that you're trying to unlearn and rewire. And ultimately, not believing your thoughts, not taking your thoughts personally. Another way of saying not identifying with the stories that the mind creates. And as you do that more and more, you start to be free of those stories that you are weaving. The Dalai Lama has a, um, a response when uh, he's asked, you know, what, why is this taking so long? When am I going to see the benefits? And he says, the people, practitioners in the West are so impatient. Rather, if you take a look back over five or 10 years since one has been practicing, not last week or last month, but five or 10 years, and just see, has there been any growth? Has there been any, any maturing, any development, any ways that you're less caught? And if you look at that, that long range view, there's a kind of inspiration that you can get and see, oh, I'm facing in the right direction. And that's the most important thing. I'm facing in the right direction. And how can I meet this moment? So I keep on filling that bucket with wholesome drops. And just the last things I want to say, and then we'll, then we'll explore together. One is about this process of purification. And I want to read a passage that I love from uh, Ramdas, actually two passages from Be Here Now. First about seeing all of the ways that we get caught. He says, as you further purify yourself, your impurities will seem grosser and larger. Understand that it's not that you are getting more caught in the illusion. Understand that it's not that you're getting more caught in the illusion. It's just that you're seeing it more clearly. The lions guarding the gates get fiercer as you go towards each inner temple. But of course, the light gets brighter too. So it's not that you're getting more caught, you're just seeing it more clearly. Most of the time, most people don't have a clue that they're caught in the prison of their mind. But as you start to see it more clearly, ah, oh, wow, I got caught again. And you might get discouraged by that, oh, I got caught again, but actually feel great that you're seeing it, ah. Wow, as Pema Chodron says, take delight in the awareness that sees the suffering. And then one more quote from Ramdas in the bigger picture. He says, what is happening to you is nothing less than death and rebirth. What is dying is the entire way in which you understood who you are and how it all is. What is being reborn is the child of the spirit for whom things all are new. This process of attending an ego that is dying at the same time as you're going through a birth process is awesome. Be gentle and honor that which is dying as well as that which is being born. So I'd like you to now, after all of those words, look back at your own practice. 
if you if you're uh, open to it, you might just go inside, close your eyes for a few moments. And if you've been practicing for any any length of time, you know, more than a year or so, if you've been practicing for longer than that, for several years, what changes have you seen? Have you noticed any development in a way that supports you? Have you noticed any weakening of things that haven't served you? Do you have a sense that you're facing in the right direction? And if so, why? What gives you that sense? And how would you describe this process of more and more seeing and understanding and expressing the Dharma? Just by seeing the habits that might be weakening a bit or others that might be growing stronger. Okay, and if you'd like, you can come on back. And um, let's see. Well, first, we can um, just open it up and see if there's any um, any comments or questions. And uh, then we can also uh, um, see, put some stuff in the chat box and see how we've grown. Um, hi, Larry. And I'm going to spotlight you and I'll spotlight me so we can have a conversation. Everybody can... Uh, can see us. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I, uh, when you said, what way do I notice that I'm different? The first thing that came to me is I'm different with strangers that I meet, with people I don't know. My whole being is much more open and kind to someone that's walking past me that I, I've never happened in my life before. You know, I, it's, it's just a measure of uh, where my head is. <laughs> just happening all it's, by itself. It's just happening with strangers. Boy, I was, I was a nice person when, you know, <laughs> oh, I smiled so many times on this walk. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you very much. Uh, and let's see, who else? Raise your hand and some comments. How have you grown? What have you seen? Or any comments or questions that come from that? Hmm. Zach. Hi. Hey. You know, another sort of aspect of this that I think about is, you know, for example, uh, with the second arrow, when I first started noticing myself shooting with the second arrow, there was a very novel um, aspect to it where it was like oh i just noticed this and i just stopped myself from doing it mm -hmm. and as it became a habit it became less novel and sort of just more a part of my life and i find myself doing it all the time without being like wow that's amazing and you know and it's just sort of 
so it becomes kind of a habit. And I, I guess what I'm talking about is how gradual change sometimes you don't notice even over time because it becomes, you know, so gradual. Um, but when you look back, um, it's significant. Mm, mm -hmm. That's that's exactly the point. Yeah, yeah. It's happening whether whether or not you think it's happening. It's happening. Right. When you say when you ask, is it happening? Then it's hard to see. But when you start seeing, oh, something's something's happening here. Oh, what a cool surprise. And you're not even trying to make it happen, it just happens from the inside. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And, uh, oh, Nathan. Hi. Um, I think for me, I've started to become less self-criticizing mm. and maybe I'm a bit more comfortable in my own skin. I think that um, more self-acceptance is probably how it's been expressed in me. and. Um, certainly like trying not to manage my own the perceptions of other people and how they perceive me that was one thing that that uh, was on my mind quite a bit but uh, through building like you know self-compassion and, and self-love been able to be um, more honestly expressing in a in a positive way so beautiful it works that's the cool thing it works yeah Thank you. Uh, how about some some women there there or some some there we go. It'd be nice to see other genders or non-gender. Uh, Charmaine, hi. Oh, you gotta unmute. Unmute yourself. One thing, uh, several things have happened, uh, like um, one of the other uh, people that spoke, I say hello to everybody in Trader Joe's, everybody <laughs> who I can get an, an eye contact, because I'm thinking this person may be the person who I am the only person that whole day says hello to him. Mm -hmm. And then the other part is... Um, I, I blame people less mm. because I, I put myself, um, what, uh, there's a term in Buddhism about, I, 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 I put myself in their place. I know <laughs> they have the same stories or have the stories that make, make up their world. Mm -hmm. And who am I? to say it's right or wrong. Mm. I have to catch myself, but I work on it. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. Just like me, sometimes it, it said, oh, just like me, They're, I'm not so yeah. different from, from them. Mm -hmm. How beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's something so freeing about, about removing the blame and just seeing, oh, they're just a product of their, their conditioning. Mm. You just leave it almost uh, it just opens and it's just there. Uh-huh. You know, uh, there it is. There it there is. There it is. Uh-huh. Uh, who am I? Yeah. Who am anyway. I? Beautiful. Yeah. Hey, Andrea. Hi. Nice to hey, see James. you. So nice to be with you. Um I just wanted to share something I'd read a few months ago, and I've really been trying to take it in and listen to it, but it says, I have become a refuge, a safe harbor for myself. Mm. And I love that, like where you want to spend time with you. And, um, and I think something that I've worked on for years, as you know, it's like when a feeling comes up that, um, and I'm curious as to why these feelings come up. Why why do we try to ambush ourselves sometimes with these thoughts that we get caught up in? Um, but bringing those in and just sitting with them gently. And then I sort of think about that. What would it look like for me to want to be here 
and have that sort of sanctuary. Um, and then cultivating that sort of every day. I think that's been powerful. Mm. Nice to see you. Good to see you. I'm so glad that you're seeing that more and more. You can mm. be safe, a safe harbor for yourself. Yeah, mm. and everybody benefits from it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Good to see you. So I think, let's see, is that it? So it's just about uh, time, but how about before we, we go, um, I opened up the chat box and if you're open to it, um, put in what you've seen in these years that you've been practicing. One thing that you've seen moving in the in a health, healthy direction. Um, anything you want to share? Oh, and somebody asked, share the the uh, the name of the of the, the the guy in the video, Robert Sapolsky. And uh, he's got lots of different um, brilliant videos. I'm kinder and more compassionate. Self-acceptance. Caring spirit over critic. Let's let's celebrate our wisdom, less reactivity. I can see when I'm going to react and I can stop and reflect. More peaceful. Frequently throughout the day feeling gratitude, connecting more with strangers more patient and compassionate to others and myself, less judgment of self and others, more connected to my body, kinder to myself, less critical. I don't have arguments with people in my thoughts anymore. Mm. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. <laughs> Isn't that just so beautiful that you can see this stuff really works it does and we have to be patient with the process because when we think it's not happening it's happening anyway it's just about time to go if i'll stay on if if people if if somebody has anything you want to share but just uh want to uh, honor the time and dedicate the evening may our coming here together support our own awakening be a benefit to everyone in our lives and ripple out be a benefit to all beings everywhere human and non-human and this beautiful planet Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.